So show of hands, who here has owned a hermit crab at some point in your life or bought one for a crying child on a boardwalk so they'd be happy long enough to get to the car? All right, I figured, most of you, yes. Of course you have. If you've lived anywhere near the Jersey Shore, your life, then chances are you have purchased a hermit crab and brought it home. Um, I asked my dad last night um, what he remembered about our hermit crabs, because um, I only remember one. But he tells me that we had anywhere between 12 to 14 um, over like a five-year span in my childhood. Um, all of mine, by the way, these are my, my older sister and I got these. All of mine were named after my favorite American gladiators. Um, Turbo, Gemini, Nitro, Laser, you know, the coolest names for the coolest hermit crabs in all of New Jersey. We kept them in a pink birdhouse, a birdcage in my sister's room. Um, and we used to have races with them in the bathtub and scare our dog with the little pinchy friends. Um, all of that until my little sister thought that they needed some fresh air and then forgot to take them back inside on one cold November evening. Yeah, there were zero survivors. And I'll tell you, that is a core childhood memory right there. But whatever, right? They're just hermit crabs. They're like pinchy little $5 throwaway pets you get at the boardwalk. They're like goldfish or sea monkeys or whatever, right? Wrong. He knows. Not that there are any throwaway animals at all. But uh, hermit crabs can actually live as long as 50 years. Yeah, right? And anytime there's an animal that lives that long, we tend to treat them more special, right? We, we, we give them better treatment. You think of like big tortoises and parrots and things like that. 50 years. And it, though they are ubiquitous with the, the Jersey Shore, they're not from New Jersey. Uh, in fact, if you have purchased or seen a hermit crab at the Jersey Shore, I will guarantee you 100% that that hermit crab was stolen from the Caribbean uh, as an adult. They're harvested from the trees and shores in the Caribbean and in Central America, 100% uh, of them, because despite the best efforts of the best scientists and breeders out there, no one has been able to successfully breed them in captivity not on any large scale or anything like that. Decades of scientists around the world have devoted their lives to trying to breed hermit crabs. Imagine if that's your legacy. And to this day, there are only about four people in the entire world who have managed to breed any of them in captivity. But of all of the attempts, in all of the labs, in all of the world, the most successful hermit crab breeder is actually a Virginia-based artist named Mary Akers. You see, when Mary's last daughter went off to college in 2017, she did what most empty nesters do, and she picked up a hobby. But instead of you know gardening or scrapbooking, she got a hermit crab. And then she did a little bit of Googling and discovered that hermit crabs are social species and they need friends if they're gonna thrive. So she, you know, bought a couple more, 
in her little cage. And then she did a little bit more Googling and realized that they actually need quite a bit of space and they need sand and they need salt water and they need fresh water and they need exercise and they need climbing spaces. And so before she knew it, she had created what she calls her Crabitat. Right? This is a 110-gallon tank. It's roughly uh, the size of an upright piano. Um, it's got multiple water sources of di differing salinity. She's got a modified hamster wheel up here. Um, and I mean, just look at it. If you were three inches tall, you would love this thing, right? Uh, this guy does. <laughs> Have you ever seen a hermit crab on a hamster wheel? But now you have. You can tell all your friends, I saw a, a hermit crab on a hamster wheel at church today. Okay, go tell all your friends. So then one day, as she's uh, now obsessing over these hermit crabs because she doesn't have any daughters in the house to obsess over, she notices that her hermit crab Artemis was walking a little funny. And it looked like there was something stuck inside of her shell. She thought, is that some kind of weird growth? Is it a rock? Is it a pebble? So she took her flashlight and she looked really close and she found, oh no, it's eggs. She's got eggs. What do I do about eggs? Nobody told me about eggs. And so then she went down more rabbit holes of more sleepless nights, reading countless uh, journal articles and scientific studies. She's calling up scientists around the world to say, what do I do with eggs? Where do they lay eggs? How do, how do hermit crabs breed? What, what, what happens? And so hermit crabs are land creatures, but they lay their eggs in the sea. And then the, the, the little crabby bits, they grow up in the sea and then they form their shells and then they walk up on land and then they spend the rest of their life on land until they have babies in the sea. They're like sea turtles. Oh, no, the opposite of sea turtles. They're like land turtles. Um, so she set about making the perfect habitat for her, uh, her, her hermit crabs. She made several different pools of water within the crabitat to, uh, to figure out which level of salinity that Artemis would like. And when she found the perfect one and laid her eggs in there, she removed it. And then she made a whole separate tank for just those eggs, those 10,000 little eggs. And she spent countless hours replacing the water, cleaning the water, using a turkey baster to get the salinity just perfect, to get the nutrients just perfect. She's raising her own uh, seaweed and brine shrimp in order to feed them. Like she is going all out on these things. This is her life now. So she watched over months as these 10,000 eggs hatched and they grew from infinitesimally small little specks to real living creatures, hundreds of them growing day after day after day. But as some grew, others died, as happens. And she'd have to remove their little bodies with the turkey baster from the top as it floated up or else they'd you know, rot and then the perfect water wouldn't be perfect anymore. And every stage along the way, every new molt, every new growth, there were fewer and fewer alive. And she spent more and more time making sure that the water was perfect. Until one day, about two and a half months after she started, she saw her last little swimming guy die. Absolute failure. Now, hermit crabs only breed once a year. So she had 12 months to obsess over this. 
<laughs> and do a whole lot of soul searching. So when 2018 breeding season came around, she decided to do something that was so radically against her nature, so radically against everything that she uh, thought was good for these little things. And she decided that instead of coddling them, she would try oppressing them. Because <laughs> she thought to herself, these little guys have evolved to grow up in the ocean, not in a tank. They are supposed to be in a chaotic, tumultuous place and situation, not in a perfect little tank. So she let the tank grow full, full of uh, larvae and letting them get dirty. She simulated high and low tide by taking away their water and then giving them way too much. She simulated there being like swarms of food and then nothing for a while. She starved them, she overfed them, she uh, varied the amount of salinity, the amount of food. She generally tried to emulate the ocean. Be the ocean is what she told herself over and over and over again. Be the ocean, be the ocean. Then 45 painstaking days of what felt like abuse to her, she watched with tears streaming down her face as the very first hermit crab walked from the salt water to the dry sand. And two days later, the second one took the same steps. And over the next three months, 204 hermit crabs had reached maturity and she realized she was gonna need some more tanks. <laughs> but not right away, because I want you to see how small they are when they first come out. Hold on. Come on. Here we go. This is how small they are when they come up on land. Isn't that adorable? Don't you just wanna like, Scratch its little ears. <laughs> Not for real, Theo. <laughs> so using these radically unconventional methods, Mary raised 726 new hermit crabs in 2019. And her blog, which, in which she obsessively updates every single day, has started a revolution in the hermit crab community. Yes, I said the hermit crab community. She started an annual hermit crab convention called CrabCon, which had to go online during COVID, but is back in person in Virginia. And she is pioneering strategies for breeding them in captivity that will one day make it unnecessary to go ransack the Caribbean to go steal them so that children can have pets. And all along this whole journey, the missing ingredient was chaos. Scientists and breeders were so obsessed with maintaining the perfect conditions that life could not actually thrive. Life, friends, requires conflict. Life requires turbulence. Life requires just a tablespoon of chaos. And all of our attempts to smooth it over in our misguided peacekeeping just ends up destroying itself. I don't know how many times I've seen a household in which one person is mean 
or abusive or just plain awful, and the rest of the family just wears themselves out trying to appease that awful person and trying to create this outward ver vision of peace and uh, a happy family for everyone else. How many toxic workplaces have you been in in which the prevailing wisdom is to just put your head down and get your work done because if you confront that person about that toxic thing that they're doing, it is just not going to be worth it. How many of you have sacrificed your own sanity for the sake of a kind of uneasy ceasefire masquerading as peace? One. <laughs> of course you have. We all have. It is so much easier in the moment to avoid conflict and pretend like it doesn't bother us. We tell ourselves it's not worth the fight. I just don't have the energy. And we bottle it up inside like somehow that's less energy than just having the fight out and open. And friends, I will tell you as a chronic conflict avoider, I am the expert in this matter. And I will tell you that avoiding conflict takes way more energy than having the conflict. Avoiding conflict requires constant internal regulation. It requires you having to put on a fake persona for everyone else. That takes so much energy. It's like the work of maintaining a perfect aquarium full of hermit crab larvae that are constantly messing it up. You end up tired and ragged, and the community you're trying to protect ends up dead. I see it in churches. I see it in church communities across the country. So many churches will allow powerful bullies to have their way while telling the victims that they need to work on their grace and forgiveness. You know, like Jesus. Meanwhile, the resentment, the anger, the hatred just ferments under the surface. And churches like that, it is absolutely deadly. And I can attest to that firsthand multiple times. But the antidote, friends, for this kind of slow and miserable burn is right here in our scripture today. Now, Jesus very rarely ever just gives us a direct answer or advice or how-to. Jesus is always talking in riddles and parables and stories and metaphors and turns of phrase, and everyone's always scratching their heads. So when Jesus actually just gives you a, what, three-step plan, pay attention. Because what's happening there is Jesus says, this is so important, I don't want you to mess it up. I'm not going to give you a metaphor today. We're just going to do a how-to. <laughs> so what does Jesus say? Jesus says, when a brother or sister wrongs you, you should text your BFF and say, can you believe that, jerk? No, you should not do that. That's triangulation, and that gets messy. No, the first thing Jesus tells you to do is to go directly to that person. Don't let it stew inside of you first. Go to that person. Let them know that you hurt them, that they hurt you. Sorry. Open, honest, direct, and vulnerable. Hey, dude, that thing that you said to me was really messed up and it hurt me. And if they're like, oh, dang, man, sorry about that. I don't know what I was thinking. Can you forgive me? Then great. Problem over. Everything's done. You have a new friend. High fives. Let's go get pizza or something. But if, if they start trying to gaslight you instead, 
or giving you some BS apology like, oh, I'm sorry you were offended. I didn't know you were so sensitive. I didn't mean anything bad by it. Yeah. Yeah, I hear those sighs. <laughs> That's when you bring in a trusted friend to mediate. Both as somebody who can, you know, maybe try to see some different perspectives and also somebody who can be a witness so that, that person isn't then spreading lies about the things that you said. There's another set of ears in the room to uh, hold that person accountable. And if they still don't want to make it right, well, then you go to church leadership or HR or grandma or whoever is the next level of authority up in whatever situation you're in. And if they don't respond to that, then you've done all you can do. You should feel good about yourself. Know that you've put in the effort. Wash your hands and walk away. You gave them multiple graceful opportunities to be in good community with you and to stop being awful. And they did not choose to take it. At this point, their aggression is out in the open. It's public knowledge. It's been addressed. They can accept grace at any point, but you are not required to keep working until they do. Move on. Sometimes abusers need to be excluded in order to realize the extent of the harm they cause. And I get that that in a place like this in which we're always talking about being an open place for everyone to be a part, I get that that sounds weird. But if you are unrepentantly abusive, then you need to go. You need to be excluded from the community in order that the place might be a safer place for those who are not. Sometimes conflict done in love and with intention is how community grows. Sometimes boundaries create healing. We all want to create these sterilized fishbowls where everyone can thrive and look presentable for, the, for company, but sometimes we need to be the ocean So I'd like to end with uh, a quote I found in Mary's blog. Uh, she was writing this in 2018, before she had had any successful hermit crab births, back when she was still trying to be the ocean in a way that made her feel deeply uncomfortable. She wrote, I'm not someone who likes playing God. And the other day, to get through a rough patch where I couldn't save all of them, I told myself, you aren't playing God, you're playing ocean. Adopting that slant helped some, especially when I thought about all the, thi all the times I've been in or on the ocean. Sometimes the vast ocean is comforting, a cradling, crackling, salty womb. But other days, it's wild and dirty and scary, completely indifferent to my piddly little life, to the point of seeming mean. On those days, when I'm struggling hard and losing some of the larvae without knowing why, or fumbling in my efforts and causing unintended issues, I just tell myself, you are the ocean, Mary, and today the ocean is dirty and mean. So let us be the ocean, friends, and let us pray.